Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Moby was an indentured servant. He had to pay his dues to Dell for five years, and then he got to live his entrepreneurial dream. Moby, welcome. What's up? Oh my God. So this is the setup from Pakistan? No, I'm in Austin. You're in Austin? You're back? I got back Sunday night. Okay. And it's Tuesday and you're already like adjusted to time and back in the office? Yes. This is, there's no rest for the broke. Yes. That's what I like to say. (laughs) You gave me a subject matter. Is that what being an immigrant is like? It feels like that's what bootstrapping a business is like, you know? You're like, oh, well, I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad for the first time ever. I'm super late. And I love the quote, which is being poor is, being broke is temporary. Being poor is eternal. And I was like, I like that. What does that mean to you? He talked about the mindset of always think you will get better and you will do better things. And if you're going through a hard time, it is simply a phase you're going through. And I like that. And I don't want to say labels like broke and poor. It's just what on my mind, because I was listening to the book like three hours ago. Do you believe that? I don't know. I will take time to process it. How long did you spend in the States? Like nine years? Ten and a half now. Ten and a half years in the States. Was that how long it had been since you had been home? No, I go home too much. Okay. Well, probably not during Corona. Actually, I did. Really? And uh, the reason why, yeah, the reason why was like, I was like, I'm not going home. My mom called me and she's like, she emotionally blackmailed me. She's like, so it's COVID. Uh, And she was laughing while she said this. She's like, what if I get COVID? And then you're going to be on stage a few years later saying your mom told you to come back during COVID and you didn't. And now you regret it because she got COVID and passed away. I'm like, what are you saying? So she's like, you better come home. I'm like, fine. So I did. Really? So COVID didn't scare you? Oh, it scared the crap out of me. The first two times I waited uh, like a few days. I didn't hug them. I didn't away. And then I got tested. I don't know what it is, but I feel like over there, they're like, yeah, it's fine. People were scared in the start the first two, three months. But later on, people were like, yeah, okay. There was still social distancing. They still were like a week ago, but it wasn't, people weren't scared as much as here. Yeah, I think it's different even from state to state. True. You've got to tell me a little bit about that trip you were just on. How long were you there? So I'll tell you. So I was going back to get married. Yeah, that's huge. And so back home in Pakistan, the legal marriage is called a nikah, N-I-K-K-A-H. And that's what I was going there for, to get nikahified. And so I went there. And the reason we were doing it much earlier than she can come into the U.S. is because if you marry a citizen or a green card holder and you're not from the U.S., it's at least a year, year-ish and a half until you can move to the U.S. for them, with them. And it starts as soon as you get married. So we were like, okay, let's do this, the marriage ceremony before and be husband and wife. And then we'll wait a year and do a big reception before you come here. So I went there. And as I was saying earlier, people weren't scared as much of the coronavirus. But it all went to hell. 
Like there was a huge third wave. The government locked down stuff. We were supposed to have an event outside like 150, 160 people. And I was like telling my mom, like, what are you doing? But she's like, eh, it's happening. And the government just closed down everything. Shops were closed on Saturdays and Sundays. So we cut it down to like 30 people inside a house and we hid from the government. We're basically like, I told everyone who was coming, park your car somewhere else. Do not park in front of the house so the police can't see you. It was great. It was wonderful. Yeah. Like who do you say like, sorry, you can't come to. Oh yeah. Oh, I, it was so, I was, I'm so glad I was able to do that. I, we cut out a lot of people. That was great for me. I felt safer. I felt more intimate and I was like, it should be an intimate thing. It was good. I'm glad it happened and I'm happy about the way it happened. That's really special. Yeah. I think it's the family relations and the bigger relations that we have to keep up. I hope my mom is not listening. This was a good year to learn what you can't live live without and who you can't live without. Before it was special, like two, three months into COVID, I was like, I put all my friends in it. Well, I put six of my friends in a favorite list and I was like, these are the people I really care about. The rest are great. I love them. But these people are people that I want to be close to and still reach out to even if I don't see them. What have you reflected upon during this period? So I started the business because I got laid off and it was a good, it was a great shock to the system. I read this quote a long time ago. I think it was Lincoln. Sometimes the best thing you can get is a kick in the teeth. And for me, it was definitely that. I was four months in my job and me and Austin were like doing this as a side hustle, got laid off. And I was like, oh, I got to find a job. I got to find a job. But luckily, two days later, I was like, oh, we could do an online summit to help people who are affected by social distancing. Because a lot of stores still did not have online ordering. And that started the journey. And I was not prepared for it personally, financially, to keep this apartment in downtown Austin, to have all these bills and start a business and bootstrap it. Because we were figuring out if we should do digital products or an agency, but it was all bootstrapped anyway. So and we wanted to own as much as possible. So we weren't going to raise money for it. You know, it's been 13 months now. At many times, looking back, I see the progression and how I think about the value we provide to people and how deep that thinking has gone because I've tried to really work on the IP of it. And I've seen the progression of the business and our courage increasing of doing bigger and bigger things. So I'm really happy with that. And I also realize sometimes I judge myself too much. Like, like, why do you not have so much money right now? It's been 13 months. And then the other side of me is like, it's been 13 months, dude. You weren't prepared for this. Uh, so that's a constant battle. One day I'm like, oh, it's great. I should, I'm exactly where I need to be personally, how I feel about this. And then other days I'm like, what am I doing? I should have I should have done better. Not the business. I could have done better. Tell me about kind of your journey to entrepreneurship. I mean, you worked for a company to be able to be an entrepreneur because you weren't always able to be one. Tell me about that. Yes. It started at the end of college. So I moved to the US in 2010, started college. And one of the big things was I was completely lost. I failed calculus like two times. I was not doing well in school. I didn't really care about things. I was like, I don't want to go to class. Eh. 12 p.m. class, I was like, <laughs> and it was a foreign language, which was, and it was my language. I was just cheating the system being like, yeah, I'll take a foreign language. It was my language, my mother tongue. And I still didn't want to show up. I was just being lazy because I didn't find something that I liked or even felt good at. And my last year of college, I found there was this organization called Three Day Startup and they did, they taught entrepreneurship to students. And we made random teams and worked on ideas for a weekend. And there was something about that, which was creating new ideas and people were fighting. There were three, four developers. They were fighting and I stood up and uh, started writing on a whiteboard and started directing them. 
And I was like, ooh, tech is interesting. I took CS for a while. I started making some websites. But that was the first time as a young adult that I found any sense of competence. Because I realized that the system that I was in, school, I wasn't good at it. I did not feel competent. That affected my self-esteem, how I felt about myself. And I found this side door. I mean, for many people, it would not have been a side door going to tech. But for me, whose family has never done tech, I didn't know anybody who was doing tech. I was like, ooh, tech's interesting. And I got into Dell somehow. I don't know if I actually deserved it. I worked really hard at the internship. I worked really hard at the internship because uh, I was an economics major and my job was an engineering job. So I was like, yeah, I'll take the job. They gave me a visa and I spent five years there. And it was a great, my manager was a fantastic person. The culture was great. Two, three years in, I absolutely hated it because I could not leave while I was in the process of a green card. I could not change jobs. I could not change companies without it being reset. And it was always the side things of me starting a podcast, interviewing people, making content, hosting panels, and just self-direction that gave me a deep sense of personal fulfillment, feeling that I was stepping up to challenges and doing scary things and made me feel that I was growing both emotionally, being able to take on harder challenges and also skill-wise. And if I felt competent. I don't know, the idea of doing something on your own, I romanticized it definitely before starting it. But I knew after a while, two, three years in Adele, that's what I wanted to do. Because every time I had done it in the past, it had given me a way out of a system that I felt I, wasn't really, I didn't really fit into. I'm not saying there's anything special about me. I'm, I'm an idiot. But it was my way out. Uh, finding something to do that I could self-direct and create and think about and ponder and stay up until 2 a.m. thinking about, I really enjoy that. And this last year has been hard, the first year of my business. And there are moments when I'm like, why am I doing it? And every time I think about it, I find things during this journey that are 100% worth it. I would not change it for the world. Tell me about some of the things that you found that have been worth it. Oh, this morning. So I'm making a webinar and I'm training on thought leadership for founders. It's basically just making videos. A year ago, I would have said, make videos and make content so people notice you. Now I've been able after talking to customers, after, after actually helping people, I've been able to segment this idea of thought leadership on video into like three major problems. Each of them, three problems can be segmented into three more, and then they have very particular solutions for them. So as I learn more about people and how they deal with this problem and how they want to do video, when I take space and time to write it down, I don't have my notebook, notebook here, but I love writing it down, writing down ideas. So that to me is deeply fulfilling that I have the space and time to think deeply about something and have fun while having a shit ton of coffee. It's great. Yeah. Can you tell me about some of the fun that you've had with some of your clients? Yeah. One of the most fulfilling things, regardless of whether it's been somebody who has been hiring our services, like, hey, make videos with me or that we've trained through our accelerator. It's the journey of me telling them, hey, when I started off, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everyone's the same exact way. This is how I got better. Here are some tools that can help. And them moving from a place of, I know I want to do video, but it's scary because I don't, I'm afraid I won't look good. I'm afraid I won't come off as professional. I'm afraid that even if I post, what's the point? What's the point of making content? All these things, that's where they start. And I love it when somebody gets to the point like, okay, I know my value and I would communicate it. I know some small things that I can do to make myself look good on camera or make the video look as good as possible. Number three, I kind of know what to do with it. And I know that it's something that I can do for the long run, build my brand. And that confidence that comes into somebody like, yeah, I, I have a voice, I've got a message, and I now have some tools that I can start spreading that. That to me is great to see because somebody else gave me a space 
and organizations and experiences that help me find my competence. And if I can help them help other people find that, I find it to be a service that I enjoy. Have you found that there have been certain types of posts that do better than others? Uh, I'm playing with this idea right now. Yes and no. On some platforms, especially LinkedIn, a lot of the standing in front of the camera, making a point, making it super crisp works really well. It also gets boring as a creator. Uh, so what I found to be a lot of fun to watch is people's random moments in their lives on Instagram and TikTok. For example, I came back to, from Pakistan and I woke up a day later and I was like, I have a sore throat. Oh no. I got on CBS and I got, went to get a COVID test and I came back and they called me like 30 minutes later and I was on my phone on the speakerphone and I just put up my iPad and I started recording her asking me, what's my name? What's my date of birth? And giving me the results, me just making that content and her saying, oh, it's negative. I'm like, oh yeah, that's dope. That kind of weird content when you're peeking into someone else's life and their experience. And that to me is really fun right now. And it's working really well on Instagram reels and TikTok. It's content about nothing, but it's interesting to see someone else's life in an authentic way, not in a maybe manufactured way, but in a slightly authentic way. I'm still pointing the camera at myself. I know the camera is at me but I'm just living my life. So it's interesting to see that and it's fulfilling to create that. I don't, I can't say if that gets more attention, but I know it creates a connection with people that are watching. I love that. I could imagine that happening. Yeah, it's weird. Why are we interested? Reality TV is the exact same thing. It's just reality TV. Were there any moments in your wedding or in the preparations or anything of moments of things that you wanted to do like that? Uh, there was one moment for sure. So in the nikah, the imam, which is the priest, Islamic priest, asks you, do you take this wife? And you're supposed to say, kabula or menikabulkia, which is accepted, or I accept this. He was supposed to ask it only once. And he asked it in front of like a lot of people. And he's like, so to make sure that you're doing this willingly and so that people can People know that you want to do this. You have to be louder. Do you accept this? And I was like, I got pissed off. And so I just, I looked at my friend and I came back and I said it much, much louder and slapped my tie. And it made a lot of people laugh. And it was great. My dad hated the fact that I did that, but it was a fun moment. That reminds me of when I got my marriage certificate, like yeah. there's a ketubah. So, you know, you're like yeah. presented with like this, Hebrew document like agreement yeah. or whatever and I like turned it around and showed the crowd and kind of like made a moment with it yeah I didn't know you know it was just like my natural reaction yeah. to things like Vanna White moment you know <laughs> that's awesome that must have been fun to do yeah it kind of was and like the photographer snapped a shot of that which was like a big cheese yeah. moment you know no, that sounds cool. You gotta yeah. have fun at these things, right? Yeah. What else like was just unexpected or amazing or special? Yeah, I think it was, it was my first wedding, I guess. <laughs> so it's interesting how much attention is put on you. And I was nervous before it, right? But the day of, I felt well, how I feel about going on stage because I was very afraid of public speaking. Very, very afraid. I've made myself puke 30 minutes for a talk because I was like, I'm going to puke anyway. I should go puke. I should make myself puke because I don't want to puke on stage. At one point, I took two vodka shots before talking to the students. And so I was scared. And I took nine months of improv comedy classes, six months of Toastmasters because I was very, very afraid of public speaking. I still get nervous, but I enjoy it. And once I get on stage, I realize it's a performance. I'm here to make people feel good, to have fun. And it feels like I'm doing something for them. If I'm better 
it's good for them. Yes, it totally feeds my ego to be on stage and people say, oh, that was great. But it also feels like I'm doing something helpful for them. And so when it came to the actual wedding, I was surprisingly relaxed. I was all in front of, you know, a limited number of people, but they were my family. They were her family. And it felt like not a performance, but felt like the, the more I enjoy it and the more I seem to enjoy it, which I did, the better it's going to be for everybody. And so it just took off. For me, it was a big moment. Like my friend came up to me right before the, the vows and said, are you nervous? I'm like, no. He's like, I don't believe you. I was like, touch my hands, touch my palm. I'm not sweaty. And he touched it and he's not sweaty. And I was not expecting that. So it was this interesting moment where it turned into a, oh, I'm on stage in front of people. And I, it's not like I have to perform, but the better time I have myself, the better time everyone else will have as well. Don't you feel like that about content creation as well? Like if you're having fun or if you're creating hype and you're like enjoying the posts that you're writing, like other people are going to feel that too. Yes. And for me specifically for a certain kind of content, I realized that I cannot for the life of me prepare a video. <laughs> I'm best when I improvise, when I make stuff up, I'll still script it, but I am best when somebody points the camera at me, asks a question that I gave them. And I just do this a lot and shake my hands and get excited and get loud. For me, that's definitely, definitely a great, great connection. What do you think about scripting like transitions or like alternate intro outros or like getting yeah. creative that way? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's really good to go try it all and decide if that's for you or not. For me, I've tried a bunch of stuff. Well, actually, let me say, I think you should try it pretty much everything that you kind of see and you want to steal and see what works for you. I know for a fact that I did a few skits, like four of them at one time in 2019, people love them. And I haven't done a skit about business in like two years. And I know I need to go and flex that muscle because it worked out really well. So it was a good attempt that I didn't, and I need to get back into. So I learned something about myself. Like I'm uncomfortable doing it. But people love it. Like what creators would you like to try to imitate and copy and test out? Yeah, there's this person who, uh, I think it's her name on TikTok is It's Jules. She's a social media manager. She gets in your face and talks like fast. Okay, so here's how you're going to actually do blow up on TikTok. You do post one, two, three, four times, and you're going to do this, 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 this. And I find it to be very engaging. She talks for like 12 seconds. So that's a cool style. I don't think I enunciate as good as her, but that's something I want to try. The other thing I have seen a lot of people do is, well, TikTok is video memes, really. That's really what it is. And I really want to try making them. I'm not comfortable with it at all, at all. But I know I need to, because if I don't do it right now in 10 years, I will have no video skills. When I was back home, I was posting two, three times a day for like a week just to be like, what's working? I mean, one of my videos, which was like six seconds, hit like 240K views. And it was just a meme. It had no value to it. And it was interesting to see that and realize that if you see a format that's working really well on uh, certain social media, just put your message into it and that's it. You're done. It will probably be super successful. What was it like seeing your parents? I remember the first time I went, I was going to Pakistan after being probably the most disciplined I've ever been in my life, ever. Like I was on like a 300 day streak of working out for the first time in my life. I was extremely lean. I was I had a schedule. I was working at the same time. I was going back home. I was like, oh, everything's in my mind. I can just go ahead and do the same kind of produ productive stuff and disciplined stuff. I go there and I'm just lazy as hell. I mean, I'm very comfortable back home. I'm with my parents. 
There's food that I don't have to pay for. It's just, it was so comfortable and safe, honestly. In the US, it felt uncomfortable. Like I was like, oh, I'm bootstrapping, running a business. Back home, it felt really good to be with my parents this time and anytime that I kind of lost a lot of my drive. I didn't work out as much. I wasn't working as much, even though I had so much time. Then it was just interesting to see that it was not me who was so disciplined and great at doing stuff, but it was the systems I've set up and the routines that I set up that if I don't take them somewhere else, I'm going to be the lazy bum that I am in my heart. When I go home, I always think about my childhood. Does that yeah. come into play for you? Like when you're around your parents or Pakistan or just, you know, where you grew up? I see a lot of my close friends and I really, what I think about is how being in a different place for a long time and being around a certain group of people, how that, how that ties in with who I am right now. And I don't have clear answers on that, but I, I'm constantly thinking about that. Okay. Oh, these experiences that made me think this way and being in America makes me think this way. And there's definitely a lot of, I wouldn't say nostalgia, but like in a few days, I am very comfortable. The first few days are very uncomfortable. I'm like, why am I here? I, I'm used to every, everything in America, working as much and doing everything myself. It takes me a few days to get back into it. But then it's very comfortable just being in that same system. It's very hard to leave. It's always bittersweet leaving. Did you leave your wife? I had to. She wow. can't enter the U.S. She has a visit visa. She can't enter the U.S. For a year. Depends on the immigration officer. She wow. can visit after a certain point because she has a visa, but it's all up to the immigration officer at the border saying, yeah, you can come in, sure, or no. And this is before she gets her green card. So in the middle of the process, she may or may not be able to visit. I'm going to see her in a different country, but the immigration system is the immigration system. And we just got to work around that. I want to talk about you getting the green card and how long you had to wait for that and what you learned there. I started working at Dell in 2014, full time. I was on the uh, H-1B visa. The, the third year that I was at Dell, I was renewing it and it was almost not renewed. Like it was almost, they were like, yeah, you, you're working an entry-level job. We're not going to give you another visa. I said, no, I got a promotion and I got a master's. But for like two, three days, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to leave the U.S. So that was scary, but got it renewed and applied for the green card. It, it took me five years after starting working at Dell to get a green card. It was just a surreal thing as somebody coming to the U.S., being a student visa, like a green card, me, a permanent resident. It was so far. I, I would never aspired to it because I was like, yeah, it's going to be cool, but can I actually do it? I didn't even know if I wanted it, but I was like, if the opportunity was there, I'm like, why not? So what's next for you? Next is, it's been a journey of me running six to eight week online courses with teaching people and making my system and actually building systems so that people are successful. If a teacher teaches and the student doesn't learn, that's the teacher's fault. So it was great to like have people pay for like, hey, yeah, I'll teach you video, but actually teaching them video, it was a great, them investing so much money into the program put a lot of great pressure on me to get better at it. So now I've been doing a lot of webinars in 2021 as opposed to accelerator things. And I've been really trying to flesh out the system that I have around the problems that people have and how to solve them and why they have that when it comes to video and how we can change mindset and give them skills and cut out the fat from it. And so what's next for me is experimenting with that system and showing that in webinars, seeing people's reactions, making offers based on that system, and eventually turning that into a full-on package as well as a training course. So that's the next three to four months of me really thinking deeply about what the customer faces as ter in terms of problems. I'm making that 
into webinars and seeing how people react, selling offers around that, and just you know going deeper into that. Do you know Steven Larson? He used to be Russell Brunson's number two. He's a good dude. He had a conference in Boise, Idaho. And I remember walking out of it in like 2019 and saying, I don't want to recognize my life in October, 2020. Like in 12 months, I don't want to recognize my life. So I came back, moved jobs, moved apartments, got out of a relationship, started 75 hard. It was a lot of chaos. And my life was absolute chaos. Emotionally, I was all over the place. 75 hard was this anchor that I could hold on to. And it really, really helped. Like I lost a lot of weight, got more confident. It helped with all things like anxiety because of the water and the exercising. I was out in the sun. I was doing things by myself. And it really made me, I didn't know I could do something so difficult and be a self, self-discipline. I always thought like, oh, I can't do stuff like that. But I just came out of it with a much, much deeper respect for myself. And I was not expecting that. I expected myself to break on day four because that's who I thought I was. But I, can't, I, I did it once more than I did the 30-day thing twice more. And I'm, I'm going to go back into it next week. I, it's wow. just it's great. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Me and Austin are pretty addicted to it. Every, any, anything goes wrong in our life, we're like, we're going to do 75 hard. It's going to be fine. Do you feel like a changed man now that you went through getting married? No. It doesn't make me a different person. It changes my mindset about things and how I see a lot of things and why I do a lot of things. And I think and I hope it makes me a better man. When and how did you decide that it was time to get married? It was the start of the journey of me accepting that I'd want a long-term relationship combined with cultural programming of marriage, combined with my parents being like, here are some people and combined with finding somebody dope and combined with the fact that we had to get very pretty quickly to get to start the green card process that I was like, okay, let's do it. Can you tell me what was dope about her? Really well educated, really into her own stuff. Great family. Like my friends, my mom and her mom are friends. Funny, very easygoing. It was kind of a lockdown, the country, when we were doing it. So we drove around a lot and we had a lot of great conversations. She was asking a lot of questions. She had a lot of questions, which was really fun. And she seemed a lot, she seemed full of life. And that's what I liked most, which was like full of life and energetic. And that to me in a person, regardless of what kind of relationship it is, is always great. That's why I've I, I really enjoyed this podcast interview because you're full of life too. Aw, <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? What's one thing you have noticed about immigrants in this country? Ooh, I love that. That's really good. That's amazing. Okay, let people know how they can connect with you, where you want them to find you, all that good stuff. Yes, I am not that Moby on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, because there's a Moby and I'm not that Moby. I'm a different one. And yeah, I'd love to connect with you. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, This was great. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for doing this. And I'm looking forward to, I'd love to catch up after a while. Yeah, we should talk too, because I feel like there's a couple people that have come into my world lately that maybe you can help. Oh, awesome. I loved it. Now. Let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, very interesting story with Moby. Just like the rest of us, we go to school, certain subjects just don't hit us right, things that we're interested in and what we're going for. And sometimes we have to pivot and and find something that really turns us on or where we have passion for it. The courses that he was taking, he, he just didn't feel like he was anywhere. And then all of a sudden, He joins a group and he's been able to go into tech to express himself where he could be 
passionate for it, stay up all hours of the night, where he, again, became like a sponge, where he was willing to learn and develop himself, and he just didn't know it. And when you find that passion of learning something, guess what? It starts building on itself, and it builds your confidence, and where all of a sudden, when you think you can't do anything, or you're not as smart as someone else, all of a sudden, you find your niche. And then all of a sudden, that not only when you find your way or your path of building towards what he was doing with tech and then building confidence, he also actually, like you and Will, went to the comedy club where you can get out there on the stage. A lot of people can't just go on the stage. It's got to be a thing of practice also where people can get nervous. And then all of a sudden, it becomes like second nature where, you, where all of a sudden the stage is your name, where you, you can't wait to get back on there. It makes you alive. It, it gives you your spirit a chance to be free and to be able to do your thing. And he learned to do that as well. And then finding a path of building different things, he all of a sudden says, hey, podcasting and the services that I'm doing where I learn things at Dell and with my hobby and everything, I can incorporate all of these experiences and build something for myself. And isn't that a path? that we would all like to find is where we take our different experiences and be able to build something for ourselves. That's the American dream. Speaking of American dream, it took him a long time to get citizenship. You know, I told you this story, I believe, that we had hired some people that were Spanish, that were from Mexico and other countries. I didn't realize that all their papers were not legal. And we had 22 illegal immigrants working in our factory. And they worked hard and they were good workers and they had skills. And we had them throughout the factory. And then we had to let them all go, all 22 of them. And it took seven years, five to seven years after filling out all the paperwork and trying to get them to be able to come back. That's how long it took. And by that time, it's a waste of time. It becomes a moot point because they've moved on and you've moved on. No, there's no longer any need uh, for them to come back at that point. So the reason why there's also a large immigration problem in this country is that the legal way is not a very good uh, method. And where a test takes too damn long, the system is just failing. There isn't a legal method where people can come over to this country and get citizenship and be able to work here. Uh, where it can be done in a timely manner. It wasn't like that five years ago, 10 years ago, and I don't think it's like that today as well. Very hard to do it the legal way. That's why a lot of people do things illegally. I found it also very interesting because, you know, my mom pulled the panic button and I changed my plan and came right here to Florida, as you know. And then when I got here, everything was okay. He is very close to his mother. He decided to also, when she came calling for him, to drop everything and, and run back to Pakistan. So the truth of the matter is, is that he also wants to have strong family ties. I guess it's a matchmaking thing that goes on in the, with the Pakistanian people as well, where he also wants to have a family and be able to settle down. He'd like to obviously live in America, but he was willing to still make that commitment, go back to Pakistan and work on the legality where she can come over here, even if they have to wait a year. A lot of times you can take the different experiences that you have and then find your way with it because you have 
a broad sense of many different subjects, those experiences can help you find a way of putting it all together. And I like the story also where once you find your path, and it takes a while, but then you can help other people find their path. I really like that part of the story. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 